Welcome to the Times Zero's podcast. Uh, Ange Goldstein, former WWE creative team member, current producer of uh, the VH1 Big Morning Buzz with Kerry Keegan, will be on momentarily. Just a, a couple of quick notes. First of all, I apologize. No rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast this week on Wednesday uh, with Michael Levin of Liberty Ballers. That will return next week. Uh, it was off this week because I was doing the morning show on WIP and it was just impossible as far as time. Mike and I usually record in the morning and I was doing a radio show in the morning. Not saying the radio show is more important. It just, um, it paid, it's more important, I guess. <laughs> It's only slightly more important. Uh, second thing, the actual original Times Yours podcast will return next week with Lee Rusikoff and Chris Johnson. We'll do that every week, um, which will be uh, an Eagles-centric podcast. It'll usually be right after the Eagles game, um, so you'll have that. I apologize. I, I can't have three different um, podcast feeds, so... I guess all I can tell you is if you're only interested in the Sixers one, just download that one. If you're only interested in the Eagles one, just download that one. And then the uh, the other nonsense, um, like when I had uh, Kate Fagan on last week and Ange on this week, um, if you just like the nonsense, just download that. Um, as I remind you always, uh, and I don't know why, but if you like um, the podcast and you subscribe on iTunes, uh, please rate it. And rate it appropriately. Um, if you like it, I would suggest that, that rating be highly. Um, I don't know how that helps me. I just like when I go on iTunes and it has good ratings. So um, if you like me and you like the podcast, I would appreciate that. Um, with that, now it's time. Ange Goldstein. Uh, what's up, buddy? Hello. So what is a, uh, what is a, a regular morning like for the, uh, the life of a, uh, a TV show, a morning show TV producer? Like, what time do you start? Well, I'm on I'm on hiatus all oh, summer. Oh, so, oh! I thought you were back. I thought you were back. No, right now. I, oh, okay. I'm on hiatus all summer. I don't go back. Um, I go in the office September 16th. We're back on the air like end of September, beginning of October, and we're changing to five days a week live. Because um, last year, you know, the last two years we've been two shows Monday, two shows Wednesday, one show Friday. So uh, I'm going to be, uh, you know, uh, I'll be up. In the six o'clock hour every day, and then in work by seven. Well, that's not that bad. That's like almost that's almost like regular person schedule. That's yeah. not a. It's yeah. not that bad. In the beginning, just really quick. In the beginning, uh, the first cycle I was there, I was uh, I was getting in at five thirty and writing a comedy piece with a comedian named Michelle Collins at like five forty five to six thirty every morning, which was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do at that hour. Dude, I'll tell you, I did, I did the, uh, the, I hosted the the WIP morning show twice this week, and um, I had to get in at four, um, which for me meant the thing about I, I usually get up at about four four thirty because I need I get into work at around six thirty or seven. I need like a solid two hours to ramp up before because the like my work, I just feel like I have to be on the whole time, and if I get to work too quickly after waking up, then I'm not like yeah. I'm not on. So I was up at one forty-five on Wednesday and Thursday morning this week. One forty-five, and that's that's <laughs> remarkable. That, that's unbelievable. I, I, but it, it had to have been a thrill to uh, host the morning show. It's crazy. It's um, it's second. I did it once, uh, like a month ago, and uh, it's it's really unbelievable. Considering, like, I, I did middays at WYSP. Like, I was a pretty like significant part of that. But there's such a big difference between. Like doing a morning show and then sort of filling in 
on such a you know like a legendary iconic morning show like and the like it's neat being in there when Angelo's there like it's really neat to be a part of that every once in a while I look around and I say wow but the one person that's not there when I'm in is Angelo so theoretically even though I don't lead the show I am the place I'm taking is, right. is Angelo like Rhea's there Al's there like everybody else is there it's just um, Angela, it's not, it's crazy. It's a crazy, it's, it's really neat. And I love doing it. It's different because you know, when I'm, I mean, when you're on with me at night, it's, it's my thing. You know, I direct yeah. the thing. I don't have to, everybody sort of, I can make it exactly how I want it. I sort I have a, a certain vibe, but like the challenge of, it's an interesting challenge trying to be yourself, but also fit into an established show, and, you know? And just to see their process. I mean, Al's been doing it for so long, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, and they, they are, you know, there, everyone has a different way of doing radio, different way of preparing. Um, luckily for me, they sort of pre- prepare in a similar way. I'm, I'm always like over-prepared and sort of over, overly, um, you know, prepared for what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, how I'm doing it. Um, yeah. And I, I always feel like, that actually gives me the opportunity to be more spontaneous because I have everything. It's almost like everybody asks me all the time, like I always pack my lunch. And I always say that I pack my lunch because it's one less thing to worry about when the day starts. So if something different happens, I can sort of, I'm prepared for it. So the thing about over-preparing for a show is that like, you know, you're always, you, it's, it's one thing you don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about what's going on in the nine o'clock hour if something blows up in the seven o'clock hour. But, um, but yeah, they're, their process is a is a very specific like they are a well well oiled machine in the morning yeah. so it's pretty crazy so See, I take the opposite philosophy to uh, lunch at work I always walk out okay because it breaks up the day yeah that's the one thing I'm missing that is the because I eat at my lunch and I'm done and I eat I eat at my desk I'm done in like seven minutes you know which yeah. does which doesn't break up the day unfortunately i'm the guy in the office who's like all right where are we going to lunch <laughs> i'm uh, like you're that cause guy because I'm, I'm a bit of a foodie and i, I like like whatever office i'm working in because i'm always you know obviously i've been in a steady gig for a while but this summer i've been freelancing so it's like whatever office i'm in i'm like scouting out the places where i'm you know gonna go all week lunch i can't i also found that lunch i can't i can't overdo it I'll overdo it at dinner, but um, again, like I'm so I'm such a creature of habit that if I put something in my body that's a little different in the middle of the day, I feel like it. Even the yeah. smell of it, like even if the smell of it is anywhere on my, yeah, I feel like it mentally it screws me up. Uh, I mean, and over you know once you you pass thirty, I mean you have to completely change. Yeah. Like I used to do these gigantic like meatball sub chicken parm uh lunches and i can't do that now it's like no. a piece of salmon yeah dude it, it past um past uh past 30 is a a different world like a a ridiculously a ridiculous different world after 30 i'm 30 dude i'm pushing 40 i'm 37 it's frightening wow. yeah i don't know what happened um wrestling yeah so i felt like this was a perfect time that we had we had touched on this on the radio and I, I felt like this is a perfect thing, A, to do in a podcast because we have a little bit longer, you know, um, and B, uh, especially what's going on with WWE right now. I thought like the whole baby face versus heel and the blurred lines of it and all of it, it was a good time to touch on it with you now because I, I feel like on some level we're on the same page. But I think it's an interesting um, it's an interesting thing to talk about. My uh, let me let, should I just like 
lay out my thesis or or sort of where I am on it, or do you want to go first? Yeah, I, you said blurred lines, and I uh, I just <laughs> I just started watching the not safe for work version. Uh, and but um, anyway, uh, yeah, if if you want to, uh, I also um, at some point want to leave some time to talk about WrestleMania and Philly, possibly. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll do that which too. Would be, which would be amazing. But yeah, if you want to uh, sort of uh, run down Set your thoughts on the Hulk. Yeah. Okay. So it all sort of starts went for me. My my process thinking about it was when is the the and this is just one thing, but um the uh smart sort of uh position of John Cena needs to be a heel, right? Um needs to be a bad guy, he needs to change, he needs blah 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 blah. So what got me to thinking was I was like, Well, I mean, the whole purpose of a heel is to get people to hate him. And more than half the crowd, or at least half the crowd, hates John Cena anyway. So on some level, he is this sort of sneaky heel. And whether that's on purpose or not, I don't know. Or I don't think it was originally on purpose. It just sort of happened, and now he plays into it, and it works, whatever. So it got me to thinking about sort of the idea of what is a good guy and what is a bad guy um, and how it's changed um, and why it's changed. And my, I guess my position is that it has changed for a couple of reasons. The first being there's so much more content and storyline is so much more of the content with WWE now compared to like, say, 25 years ago, where when I was growing up, you know, I got to see it on Saturday morning for an hour and that and the, like the once a month house show at the Spectrum was their only opportunity to present me with what kind of character this person was. So because of that, those characters... Um, had to be simplified. So it had to be American guy versus Iranian guy. It had to be like small guy versus giant. It had to be good guy versus bad guy. And that was enough because walking into it, you, you sort of had to be able to tell those stories. And the promos, you know, were 60 seconds with Mean Gene Okerlund. You know, it was like you had such yeah. a, a short time to explain who who you were. And I also think that the, the crowd, and I could be wrong because I was a kid, but I also felt like the the fan base was was younger like it was a higher percentage of kids who were into it than adults that were into it so then fast forward until now where you have three hours of raw two hours of smackdown one hour of main event whatever the hell happens on weekends plus the web like you can't just do this simple good guy or bad guy thing because it's too thin a character and as you get deeper in characters and you see that with drama on television now from mad men to breaking bad and um, you know, Game of Thrones, which I don't watch, but all of these things, like the the idea of who the protagonist is, is really different. They are these deeper characters who are uh, who are flawed and who don't always fight for what is uh, historically what is right, um, things like that. So I guess my position is not that there aren't people that people cheer for and people boo, but the reasons for that. And and sort of uh, are are way different, and and then and that because of that, that like, um, you know, that the, that's why guys like I feel like Dolph Ziggler have gotten lost because there there hasn't been a ton of depth to his character, and you know the the straight ahead like I'm Rick Rude, I'm so like I'm so full of myself that it works. You have to dive so deep into that, like Damian Sandow. Like you have to be such a bad guy to pull off the classic heel thing. I even think it took it took CM Punk months 
and John Heyman, or and Paul Heyman, rather. John Heyman's not a heel. John Heyman's just a reporter. And Paul Heyman. No, he, he, that would be amazing if John Heyman was CM Punk. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's where I am on it. And, like, and even like, like Daniel Bryan, who seems like such a babyface now, he is, but he's not really. Like he only sort of is. Like he's, you know, it's not a classic babyface character. So, yeah. you know, I wanted to get sort of your perspective on it from, you know, a viewer and a writer and like, you know, because you, you understand the process better than, than I do. Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you say, and I'll just expand. Uh, like the stuff that I sort of wrote down and what I think what you said about going to Spectrum Wrestling and having like one or two hours of wrestling on a week back in the day, like Superstars and Challenge on Saturday mornings, is absolutely correct. That that was their only outlet to tell a story, so it had to be a simple A to B, uh, you know, uh, Hulk Hogan versus Iron Sheik kind of thing. But now my my main point is that um, the idea of breaking kayfabe and for anybody who listens. Uh, to this podcast, kayfabe is the the time honored uh, carny wrestling tradition of keeping the secret that wrestling was a work was a, was a farce, and that uh, outcomes were predetermined, and that the action in the ring was um, was manipulated. And for years, that's what that's how wrestlers operated. It was it was uh, sacred to to keep kayfabe. And not break it. Heels and baby faces traveled separately. They had separate locker rooms. It was it was uh, it was a sin if they were seen together. And um, in the eight in the late eighties and in the nineties, when kayfabe was broken by Vince McMahon in court, when he when he uh, admitted that wrestling was fake and that it was all entertainment, so he could get the tax breaks to do what he's done and, and make a global empire. And also. There's stories of Iron Iron Cheek and Hacksaw Jim Duggan embroiled in a feud, but then getting pulled over together in a car smoking weed. Um, that's sort of like the, uh, the the tipping point moment for Breaking Cave when fans were like, "Wait a second, hold on, <laughs> they're Wait friends." Yeah, I remember. They hate each other. One from Iran and one from Glens Falls, New York. <laughs> I remember when I was a little kid when I would when I would go to those matches at the Spectrum. I would sit in the press box. And right, the, the, it's like in the mid-level. It was like the mid-level of the spectrum. And when you would go down the stairs of the press box, it's where the locker rooms were. And I remember like the one time I went down there with my dad, I saw like a good guy and a bad guy eating together. And I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, like, it was like, like a, a Santa, like a, a finding out Santa was fake sort of moment. It's, it's like a shout out to your uh, Santa movie, What Was. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, it's also like when you were a kid and you saw one of your teachers like in the supermarket and you're like, wait a second, you leave the school? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so j- that that's what kayfabe is, and um, I'll take your theory a little deeper of you know nowadays because there's so there's so much saturation of the product that stories have to be um, have to be convoluted and therefore the characters get convoluted. Uh, so I would just say that one of the side effects of Breaking Kayfabe is that it empowered fans. I always harp on fans and chanting and, and how they've become too much a part of the show. And instead of sitting back as a spectator and like forming your opinions based solely on what you see on the ring, in the ring, now there's so many other things to base your opinions on because when you were a fan whether, back in the day, whether you thought it was real or fake, you only 
your only choice was to take what you saw in the ring at face value. But now, because now because there's so much to think about, who uh, fans know about what's going on in the office, who's getting what push, who likes who, you know. Vince McMahon, uh, this guy has heat backstage, and that's why he's not becoming champion. And so it gives them a machine to rage against, where one never existed before. You know what I'm saying? So, right. You know, you, there, and whenever you have access to judge sort of the hierarchy, the 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 the, man, the people in charge, that breeds that breeds. Uh, um, what did I say? That that breeds. Um, like the sentiment of anti-establishment. And that's where your Austins, your Rocks, your NWOs, your CM Punks come in, and that's where those characters come in. But on a, simple, on a simplified level, I, my, my crystallized point is that uh, breaking kayfabe and then now more modernly the, the Internet, it's just given too much nuance uh, to, fa- to, to fans. There's, there, there's too much nuance to parse and too many things to, to nitpick about uh, a heel or a babyface. So, like, the idea of a, of a white meat babyface can't exist anymore. Right. Be- it, because because it, the, the older people won't, won't, the people that are into it, into it, like the people that listen to a podcast like this, won't like those people. They, they, they won't go over. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, uh, we're, pro- you know, fans are programmed now to, to, uh, to base their fan choices, not just on what they see on, in the ring, but now what's going on backstage. Whereas, you know, I would say 90, mid nineties and back, you had no idea. It was cloaked in mystery. Well, it all happened in smoky back rooms. I, I, uh, I was, I listened to, uh, the only podcast I've ever, the only wrestling podcast I've ever listened to was last week where, um, I don't know his real name. I forget his real name. The guy, the Grantland guy, the mass man. Um, Oh yeah. Uh, um, uh, Shoemaker. Shoemaker did a, a podcast um, with a couple of other guys, and they were talking about. He briefly talked about his interview with Triple H, which I haven't. I haven't read yet. I have it flagged. I'm. I'm going to read it uh, this weekend. Yeah, I'm actually. I'm on a plane tonight, so uh, so I. I figure I'll look at it. Uh, I, I have. Yeah, I have it. I have it set to to read tonight. But he was saying, uh, to your point about the backstage stuff, he was talking about the Triple H thing, and they were asking him, "Well, was he working you or was he not working you?" And he said, "Well, the thing with wrestlers." Is even when they're not working you, they're working you. Like even when they're when everything seems like a shoot, it's never a total shoot, or they're doing it for a reason to get you to believe something. So when we hear about the backstage stuff, like is it how much of that is like just even a like a deeper work? Like it, it, even like you know like a lo- the, like the long con idea. Yeah, that. yeah. Is that well, is that possible or? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you bring that up because I just had, I was in LA earlier this summer and I had lunch with um, a comedian who spent some time just recently as a guy on the creative team. And um, he told me a great I was like, so you were there doing the pipe bomb, the, the CM Punk promo. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, uh, you know, because if you talk to CM Punk and you watch any interview he does, uh, he comes off completely as if it's a shoot, and he'll say things like, all they told me was, you have 10 minutes at the end of the show to air your grievances. And I went out there, and I just said what was on my mind. That's the story that he sticks to and that he tells in every interview. But I sat down with this ex-writer, and uh, he told me, oh, no, that's BS. He's like, you know, so-and-so writer wrote that word for word. 
Hmm. So they yeah. pro- there's still the idea of we're protecting the business, we're protecting the product. So that's like a little sliver of kayfabe still, still um, you know, rearing its its ugly head. But um, you know, yeah, the the idea that Joe Blow fan knows what you know Triple H and Vince McMahon were thinking in making whatever decision to put so and so in in this match. I mean, that just adds so. Now, when they're at the arena and they're paying their ticket and they're booing someone, they're not booing that person per se. Yeah. They're boo- a lot of times they're booing the decision to put that person in the position that they're in, you know? Which is the insane. Scene. Which is like, is, I almost think it's too much. You know, like I, um, uh, Andy Greenwald talked about um, the, the notion of like when a TV show, when a drama, like let's just take the hour-long drama sort of idea right now. When they're filming as the show is going, like you know, as it's airing, then if they if if they can they can sort of see what's working or what's not working, and maybe make sort of subtle changes in the script based on the reaction. Um, I guess the um, the 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 opposite to that is they were talking about House of Cards, you know, and how they weren't able to do that because they just sort of dropped it all at once. And if something wasn't working, well, they were just kind of stuck with it. I almost think in wrestling, I can't tell if it's if there's too much changing based on um, how people are reacting or not enough. You know, like I think Daniel Bryan is a, a perfect, a, a really interesting example of like they they may have, although it seems like they took too long to do this with him. It's either that or they have they saw the reaction and they have worked this perfectly. Like they have brought him along. Everybody wants things happen to happen quick, more quickly than even in regular sports. You know, like um, everybody wanted Chip Kelly to name the quarterback more quickly than he did. Everybody wanted Sam Hankey to hire a coach more quickly than he did. Everybody wants these decisions and these things to happen quickly. They say they're patient, but they're not really. Whereas Daniel Bryan, the the, the enormous support he has right now, just the uh, from everybody, from kids, from adults, from everybody, all at once, sort of lends you to believe that they have worked this. Absolutely, one hundred percent, completely right. Maybe in spite of what some people were wishing they would do with him. Yeah, the X factor in all of that is that um, that some people that people don't realize is that sometimes at Raw, at, you'll get there on a Monday at Raw with the script locked, and you'll go in what's called the producers' meeting with all the X wrestlers that sort of you know work out the matches with the guys and are on the road and, and w- put the matches together and then the writing team and then Vince and his sort of upper management team and they go through the script for the show. It's like a, produ- a regular TV production meeting and Vince will change the entire show like four hours before they go on air. So to your point about um, the hour-long drama and something like House of Cards, like it's just a big old matzo ball of 13 episodes and there's nothing they can do you know, if fans like something or don't like something, there's nothing they can do about it. The WWE product can change, the, the direction can change on a dime just because, A, Vince is in a fairly mood on a Monday and doesn't like something in the script, or John Cena, you know, tears his bicep and he's out. Now we got to go, you know, they, they always talk about um, the booking sheets were written in pencil back in the day because, um, you never knew. You never knew when somebody was going to just say, you know what, I got a better offer in Florida, I'm out. And they, 
leave the promotion or get injured um, or get arrested. So uh, they were always they always had to change things, and it's still that way. Just because um, Vince, it, the way he runs things is he can change an entire show day up. I think, but oh, go ahead. But I, I will just say now as just a spectator, I watch it and I see and I see um, you know foreshadowing, and I see nuggets of story that pay off two, three, four months down down the road, and I'm just like, all right, they're fine. You know, they're really doing the like. We, they used to uh, bombard us with what were called grids. You'd start, you'd pitch a story, it would get okayed, and then you'd have to grid out two, three, four months in advance where that story is going. Um, and they're they're kind of doing that. So to, to your point about Daniel Bryan, I think this has been in the works. You know, like back uh, two pay-per-views ago was John Cena versus Mark Henry, and we were all excited. Cause it's like, oh, Mark Henry gets this great shot, and they did that fantastic fake retirement angle, and you're like, oh, Mark Henry's finally going to get two, three, four matches with John Cena on top. And it was it was literally just a placeholder yeah. until they could until they were ready to do this Daniel Bryan uh, push right, especially you know side by side with Total Divas. Yeah, it doesn't it, hurt. It doesn't hurt that you're you're main event at SummerSlam was also your two main, you know, male characters on your new reality show. Yeah, it was funny. There were, um, I didn't, I couldn't watch SummerSlam because I was working, um, but it's funny, like, I just watched it on Twitter. I just had people, I, I specifically, for the first time ever, asked people to tell me exactly what was happening as it was happening, and when Brian lost, I was like, oh, well, this is genius. Like, like, because one of the ways, you know, because it's all about if forgetting about like heel and face. It's all about conflict. It's all about what is the central conflict um, and what are what is the motivation for each character uh, beyond that conflict. And then how do people react to that conflict? It's And I would almost imagine sometimes it's hard to guess who people are going to side with. Um, but one thing that always works is sympathy right is the underdog people, oh yeah people like the underdog and to me everybody that was like finally daniel bryan is champion like and they were mad when they took it away from him i was like finally it's not finally he like this is you know what i mean like this is not a this has not been a huge uh you know championship chase for him um yeah. and this has been like it was like six weeks you know like this is he the, them, uh, uh, him losing it at SummerSlam was the best thing that they've done to him. I mean, it, it will it put him over in ways that I don't think anybody's been over since that since the pipe bomb thing. I mean, it, oh, absolutely. I I gotten you know I I watched it at a uh, in a gigantic sports bar that my buddy Rosenberg uh, host. You know, he hosted the pay per view event. By the way, and, I saw you guys do the video podcast afterwards yeah. in the bar. It's just like. You were both like, like I felt like I was watching a promo. Like that's how you were both like, like you were sort of going in and out of it, and I felt like you were like, like pacing in the background of a promo. Like I, lo- yeah. I loved watching it. Like there was definitely we have, we have a weird chemistry just because we're just we're both such huge wrestling fans, and we're actually and we're really good friends. And so uh, when he gets going, because he's a, you know he's a radio guy like you, so he can talk at the second the light goes on, he can talk until you know, somebody tells him to stop. And then, so then I pick up on it and, uh, you know, we just, we have, we have a lot of fun, uh, yeah. doing that. Kind of, we've been to three WrestleManias together. It's, it, it was, it's a good time. But anyway, we're watching in a bar full of rowdy people chanting and it's almost like a, a more, um, condensed, uh, it, like you go to a big arena, you see a, a thousand people. You can't really, you can hear it, but you can't judge 
see what everybody is reacting to. But in a bar situation, like, it's one or the other. They either love it or they hate it. And people, this bar went ballistic. Like, the roof blew off the place when Triple H kicked him and, and, and hit him with the pedigree. And everyone was so upset. And I was just like, dude, that's wrestling. Yeah. They just worked you. That's wrestling. That's, that's why you buy your ticket. That's why we love it. These kind of, uh, like, they brought plot back. I said it. They brought plot back to pay-per-views because it had been, you know, WrestleMania. Like, nothing happened. But, like, the, so what you're, like, what I was saying about uh, white meat baby faces, this is close, this is as close as you can get in this modern day and age of, like, this sympathetic story right. and, rate, you know, this, this underdog baby face going against the hated united front of a McMahon family. You know, they brought that sort of 90s McMahon family versus the world. We own, we own this. We're in charge. We're pulling the strings thing. And that's really the only thing that really works, like really works, is if you're raging against the McMahon family. Because cut, it's cut and dry. The McMahons are heels. I, you know, Vince gets cheered here and there, and he'll spend like four, five months as a babyface. But at the end of the day, he's going to fire someone and make somebody kiss his ass. And Stephanie's a bitch. And, you know, whether Triple H is, lo- is beloved as a legend and he gets that legend pop, he's still, he's a heel, man, you know? So when that all happened, it just makes, like you said, it's, it's the perfect setup for Daniel Bryan to be the baby face, the, the top baby face in the company. And like, you know, the, oh my God, they ripped it away from him. It's not like Shawn Michaels when it was like a boyhood dream realized and you were along for that ride of his chase to the title. It, it's like Daniel Bryan was just in a tag team with Kane doing wacky vignettes in a diner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, and I do think, um, even though it's, it's weird how much reaction uh, Randy Orton still gets in general. Like, just when he comes into a normal, like, Raw or SmackDown, um, when a lot of guys, I feel like, don't get much of anything if they aren't, like, a, a top three guy at the time. Uh, but I yeah. think he's, he's perfect in this in that, like, he's, he's ambiguous. Like, he does, like, it's a perfect role for him in that the, the, the title holder almost needs to be, a, like, a, a pawn. And I, I think, like... You know, his promos are boring and, like, I'm sort of over it. But I feel like he's got, like, a, um, you know, the the dark sort of um, cloud oh, yeah. around him. It's, it's just a perfect, like, he fits in there and he doesn't have to do too much. Everyone else will do it so many, So many people are hating on Ran- the idea of Randy Orton because he's been around for so long. And, oh, they're just going back to the old, you know, old steady Randy Orton. But it's like, that guy's had nine title runs before this one. And it's almost as if now he's in his prime. And this, like, imagine if this was his first title run. You know, he started when he was 19, and they put the title on him at, like, you know, 2021. And he's had, you know, he's held it and dropped it, held it and dropped it, and been a part of, like, big storylines. But, like, if you watch him in the ring, he's so good now. And he, and like you said, the crowd reactions that he gets, he's so good at being a wrestler He's literally in his prime now. We've all those years leading up with all those wasted title runs. That was all Lita. That was all him getting to his prime. He was just like, you know, uh, working off a fraction of his, you know, his legacy-born talent. Now he's really in his prime. I love his work in the ring. I mean, no, his body. I always say his body. He has the best in-ring body language of any 
of any wrestler right now going today. I mean, he does that that recoil, the snake recoil, and the pounding on the mat, and the hyping of the crowd before he hits his move. I mean, nobody hypes up their finish better than Randy Orton now. I mean, it, it's it's like Steve Austin style. Yeah, he's a throwback. I think Orton's sort of a throwback. I don't love him or anything, but yeah, he he does what he does well, and he the, for, for him to still get the reaction he does, I I'm shocked. Yeah. You know, without. We, he honest, honestly, before this, he hasn't been involved in a significant storyline, like an interesting storyline, in the last two years. Like I can't yeah, think I, of, I can't think of anything. And still, and you you look at guys they pushed that they can't get anything out of. Like the ten different times they tried to push Miz as something, or yeah. um, and I don't mean to pick, pick on Ziggler, but like I feel like he's been involved in like in in a bunch of different significant things, and still like. Uh, teeters in the middle as to whether I think that many people care about his character. Um, well, Orton, I think Orton's impressive in that he is able to stay relevant without those storylines. Just uh, it, it popped in my head back to the question that what you threw out a couple minutes ago about how you know are they booking long term? Uh, you see, like two pay per views ago was Money in the Bank and they had Randy Orton win, and everybody was like, huh? Because like you said, Randy Orton hasn't been involved in anything significant in, in almost a few years. Yeah. And it's like, they put Randy Orton over? Like, how about a new guy? Like, how about a young guy? And it was just like, man, what, I wonder what the plan is. So this Daniel Bryan story, I, I have to believe, was this whole thing was in the works for months. Because you see, at the time, it made no sense that Randy Orton went over in, in Money in the Bank. And it's like, Randy Orton gets the briefcase. Oh, they're going to make him champion. But now it's interesting. Now it makes sense. Um, they found a way to get Randy Orton back on top. And the other reason it, it, it really kind of works is because there's history there. Randy Orton used to be in Legacy with Triple H. And, or, uh, he was, uh, or not Legacy. He was in, um, he was in uh, the deal with Batista and Ric Flair. Um, Evolution. Oh, okay. That was a that was a cheap knockoff of the Four Horsemen back in the day. They had a great Motorhead uh, theme song though. Oh, did they? Yeah. What was the? So, somehow Triple H uh, has this thing where any anything you know he's had like seventeen entrance songs and most of them have been done by Lemmy. Um, I have it on my iPod. It's called Evolution. Oh yeah, Line in the Sand, Evolution. It's a fantastic song. I use it at the gym. What up? Um, so at the end of this, um, you see, is there like an extended title run for Daniel Bryan? Like we, we saw the super long one with punk and then, uh, I, I comparatively, like, I felt like the, the, um, there was the era where the title switched every, um, every two months, you know, it seemed like, and then there was punk and then there was sort of a, a shorter Cena one. What do you think they'll do with Bryan here? Well, you know, it sets up pretty perfectly while John Cena's on the shelf for four to six months with, yeah. you know, the, the elbow and the tricep. So, I mean, look, they can get – there's so many match combinations now. I mean, you can get two to three with Randy Orton versus Daniel Bryan with all kinds of varied stipulations. You can get Daniel Bryan versus Triple H, you know? Yeah. So there's two guys there. I mean, the next the – next, handful of pay-per-views is going to be some some version of Daniel Bryan versus Triple H, Daniel Bryan versus Randy Orton, Daniel Bryan and the tag team partner versus Triple H and Randy Orton. So um, that's pretty much where they're going. Whether they put the title 
on Daniel Bryan right away. I don't think it's going to happen right away. I think that they're now they're going to do the chase. Now that they have you invested in Daniel Bryan, instead of just, oh, he's Daniel Bryan, he's great in the ring, and he has this indie background, and the, the, the nerdy, smart wrestling fans love him, but he's not really what, you know, he's never going to get a push in WWE. Well, now that he has a legitimate, you know, foothold on the top of the card, now I think they're going to give us the chase. And so it could go all the way to WrestleMania. Though I have a fear that... Um, I have a fear that WrestleMania will be something lame like Daniel Bryan versus Triple H, but I think they can do that right away. I was going to ask you with WrestleMania, and it's a perfect lead-in to, uh, to talking about the prospect of having it in Philly. Um, well, the, one, oh, go I, ahead. It just popped in my head. Yeah? If somehow they could get to, I mean, it doesn't, I can't see it right now, but if somehow by WrestleMania in April, if they could get to Punk versus Daniel Bryan, I mean, the internet would, uh, you know, to use a cliche, the internet would explode if it yeah. was Daniel Bryan versus CM Punk at WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean that's a that's the internet dream is those two guys. You know, uh, it's amazing. It is amazing in the uh, the. I, I was actually with I think it was with Rosenberg, um, the Daniel Bryan interview from maybe a year ago or maybe a little more, where he started to get. Um, you know, before the tag team, but after the 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 yeses at uh, at the WrestleMania where he lost to Sheamus, and he talked to Rosenberg about would he ever get that sort of big championship push, and um, he looked like he was being honest when he said no, like I'm I'm not a big like Vince likes big guys, and I'm not that, and so on and so forth. And when you see um, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan sort of at the top of um, the WWE right now, it is pretty. You know, for for all of the negative things that everyone says about Vince McMahon, you know, and and what he likes and Vince's way, I mean, it is pretty impressive that whether either it's a a testament to them or the company or both that two guys who do not look classically like um, like you know big time wrestlers are are sitting up there at the top. That's really amazing. I mean, there was that there was that moment after they both won titles at I guess it was. Royal Rumble or whichever pay-per-view it was, and Punk was the WWE champion and Daniel Bryan was the world champion on SmackDown. And they were, you know, that night of, like, the two, like, indie dar- indie wrestling darlings are now the, the two main title holders in WWE. It was amazing. But even more so now, like, those two guys are the two top guys, especially with John Cena being out for as long as he's going to be out. And the ball is there. And it's just amazing, especially like two guys not not built by the WWE machine. Like those two guys put in, you know, ten plus years wrestling as they as they often say, wrestling in gyms and armories and and stuff like that. So it's real. It's really amazing, and it, it's just one of those things of like Vince McMahon can't help can't help but push those guys because they work so hard and they're so good in the ring and they get it. The um. Where does the the Stone Cold that WrestleMania thing sit? Like, I feel like that was a hot and a definite thing for a while. Talk about, talk about work in the audience and kayfabe and 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 all that stuff. They Punk drops it. I swear to God, Punk. Any interview you read with him, he always gets asked about it, and he always dangles the carrot. He always puts it out there, and I got and he wouldn't do that. I'm telling you, he wouldn't keep doing that if it wasn't. Already, sort of in the world. Look, back in the, a few years ago, before anything seen a rock, 
Cena always, you, when Rock was just a movie star and hadn't been back in a decade, Cena, all, when he would be on Hollywood red carpets, he would always bring up something about The Rock. One day I want to wrestle The Rock. One day, Rock, if you're listening, all that kind of stuff. Like, hey, look, I'm a wrestler and I'm in movies. I'm not like Rock. I don't just leave. Like, he would always put stick that fork in it when he was in public. And it's the same thing with Punk. He's doing the same exact thing, dangling that carrot. And I'm, I, I, somebody in the office would tell him, to stop doing that because you give fans false hope. So I got it. And if you listen to Austin's podcast, which you said you only listen to um, the uh, the Grantland Wrestling Podcast, but I recommend if you have like a free day, listen to a bunch of Austin's podcasts. They're incredible. He he he's interviewed Bret Hart. He's interviewed Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, uh, but like really good in depth like interviews. And it's Steve Austin, so it's hilarious. But uh, they're really great. In fact, he just interviewed Ric Flair, and I will be listening this weekend. But I will say, when Austin's asked, he's like, oh, I'm too busy. I, I'm, I'm booked for the next two years with movies. And it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm too cynical, man. I, I think he's in shape. He, can do, he says he can wrestle one more match. But he's like, if I do it, I want to do it right. So we'll see. But I, I'm telling you, they wouldn't talk about it if it wasn't a possibility. I, I, can I play devil's advocate for a second? Sure. Devil's advocate says that you just made the point that Punk and Brian, because of their work, um, almost forced um, Vince McMahon's hand in making them who they are. Is it at all possible that Punk is just like that he wants this to happen and, and that's why he drops it because he's sort of trying to be the, the, the tail that wags the dog? Oh, that that definitely. I mean, wrestlers do that all the time. They put they put what they the storyline that they would love to happen for their career out there. I mean, anytime Cody Rhodes does an interview, he talks about wrestling his brother, you know, Dustin or Goldust at WrestleMania. That's a story that's being pitched for you know two three years, and Vince has turned down every single time. But he still talks about it. So you know, that there's a hole there in my theory. But I'm just saying that. There is precedent with Cena and Rock. Right. That, and also, there's just too much money. You know, follow, it's always like Richard Nixon just follow, Watergate follow the money. There's too much money in Austin versus Punk, I think. Um, so the, uh, the uh, finalists come out for WrestleMania uh, 2015. I forget, was that 32, 31, 32? It'll be 32, yeah. Cause it, no, it'll be 31. 31. Um, and uh, they are Santa Clara and Philadelphia. And what I was led to believe is that whoever doesn't get one of them will get the other. So yeah. does that pretty much that mean that Philadelphia gets WrestleMania in 2015 or 2016, basically? If that's the story you're telling, that's awesome. Well, that, I mean, that, that was that was that was what I was that was what I was led to believe. I mean, if you believe the. If you if we all take for as fact that it's down to Santa Clara and Philadelphia for 2015, I believe that um, what I was told is that the other the other city would get um, 2016. So that would be incredible. I I don't even know why I care. Like it would be neat to have it here only because it would force like my regular work. Like it's so funny. Everything I do as far as wrestling is concerned for CBSPhilly.com and for WIP is the most polarizing thing that I do of anything that I do. Like all of the wrestling stuff, when you're on at one in the morning 
for 15 minutes, right? People will stay up just to hear the wrestling stuff on the radio. But like, there's also a small segment of people who will curse me for doing it. And it's, yeah. the, it's the same thing on the internet. I post any dude. I posted a a running like results thing of SummerSlam on CBSPhilly.com, and I got more views than probably anything will happen this week. But any comment, like half the comments on Facebook, are like, "This isn't sports. I can't believe you're doing this." Blah 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 blah. And, and then Slow News Day. Yes, Slow News Day is the amazing. <laughs> is that like the Slow News Day one kills me? It's like, well, sometimes yes. Like, what would you prefer that I do? Like, do you need another Nick Foles, Michael Vick article? Like, do you? Are no, we at the I, point where honestly, you need that? I, yeah. I wish you, every day you would give me the full breakdown of the snap counts at practice. <laughs> It's like, come on. And I'm I not trying sna- to. I love snap count stories, Spike. I'm, and I'm not trying to. Like, it's some people's job to do that, but it, it ain't mine. You know, the, the yeah. job of me is to find what's working and sort of go with it. But back to my original point is that the reason I'd be so excited for WrestleMania to come here, because I don't. Unless you have great tickets, I don't think WrestleMania in a football stadium is a, a great experience. I just I can't no. imagine it is. Take, take it from the guy who, luckily, because he's friends with a minor celebrity, sat. Pretty much ring, you know, pretty much ringside uh, at Giant Stadium last year for WrestleMania. It was awesome. Yeah. But I would not want to be in any seat but that. And the only reason I would go to WrestleMania live is because I'm friends with Rosenberg. Rosenberg, you know, gets, gets good seats. You know, the really good tickets. But I would never. I mean, I would go for the tailgate. That's it's so much fun. The parking lot is everybody. It's like. It's the Oscars, you know. Everybody gets up and gets dressed in their wrestling best, their best T-shirt, their best Hulk Hogan boa. Like, you see the the greatest uh, collection of wrestling fandom you could ever imagine in the parking lot of WrestleMania. But I'll say selfishly, and I said it when the story first broke a couple months ago that Philadelphia could be a finalist, somehow you and I at a table outside the stadium, Eagles pregame style, Angelo Cataldi style, you know, somehow we have to convince uh, WIP to let us do that. Well, and that's, and that my original point was basically that, um, that, that the reason I'm most excited for this is not to go to WrestleMania is, is that it sort of forces my work's hand to allow me to do something like that. Like, that is, that's exactly what, like, there's no way you could, whether it is sports or sports entertainment, there's no way that you can ignore a 70,000 person event in Philadelphia that is, there's wrestling. Like, we can't, so you either, you either own it or you ignore it, and ignoring it is the wrong thing. So, so this sort of begins my pitch to be like, okay, like, like, I'm, like, this is, Nobody here else. Nobody else here is interested in doing this, right? Right? Okay. So show just, them the analytics. Yeah. Show them the. the I will. You know. Well, we, dude, it was it, nothing. Was nothing. Phillies, Eagles, uh, that stupid SummerSlam post. Nothing. Phillies, Eagles, Sixers, or Flyers related has touched the number of page views that that touched. There you go. Um, over the last, I would say, six months, and I'm talking about like Charlie Manuel getting fired did not get a third of the page views that the wrestling thing did. So, you know, like, it's Sunday. And that's the other thing, man. It's Sunday. Like, like, oh, wait a minute. You know what's interesting? It's Sunday, meaning there will be an Eagles game. <laughs> no, because WrestleMania is always in April. Oh, that's right. I'm, why am I thinking October? Why, what, what is going through my head? No, why October, am I thinking, yeah. October Survivor, November Survivor Series. Yeah, I have no idea. April, what... 
Yeah. There's nothing going on. Oh, April. that's yeah. why that's why Vince did that. Yeah, I, I don't have any idea why I was thinking October. That's what I'm getting married um, in October 2014. But, uh, so that won't get in the way either. Maybe that's, that's why I was in your head space. Yeah. But uh, can you just imagine uh, we'd have Jody Mack come on, yeah. which is like my dream because he used to talk. He used to pepper wrestling into uh, into his radio show back when I was a kid and listening to him in the car. Well, dude, I did, and, a, I did a crossover with him like three weeks ago, and when we were doing it, he's like, and I'm sure Spike will talk about some wrestling. Uh, he goes, yeah. he goes, what did I miss on Raw tonight? I was like, I don't know, dude. I was here preparing. <laughs> so, so yeah, he's I, still into it. That that's like my uh, that's like my dream. I would love to uh, chat wrestling with Jody Mack, and uh, you, your dad could come on tell yep. his, uh, tell some of his stories from Spectrum Wrestling. So it it'd be awesome. And then uh, obviously, aside from just the, the selfish reasons, it'd be it'd be really cool to see it in a stadium in Philly. I mean, there hasn't been wrestling in a stadium in Philly since the JFK days. Was the yeah. wrestling at, at JFK? Yeah, and at oh. the vet. Oh, I didn't. I don't even think. I don't think I knew Not, that. WWE didn't really do that, but um, the NWA every once in a while because they they would always try to invade, the, you know, the WWF territory. They would put on these big shows, but there um, and I think Starcade once did something at the Vet, but definitely at JFK. But um, it, they used to run out of the Civic Center. But anyway, there hasn't been wrestling like that in Philly too often. So it'd be amazing. Plus, as I say on your show all the time, I mean, Philadelphia has such a hardcore, pun intended, wrestling base uh, with with the ECW history. And then just, you know, it was a hotbed for WWF, uh, you know, live events back in the eight, in the early 80s. So Yeah, it's got, it makes too much there's sense. There's so many people in Philly, and the Philly crowd is so good. I just think Santa Clara is such a weird number two. Well, didn't isn't that where the Super Bowl is going to be in two years? Because it's it, it's close enough, I think, to major markets. Isn't there a Santa Clara officially? Yeah, a Santa I, Clara. I, I guess Bowl? it's the I guess it's the same distance of like Philly to New York, so it's like Santa Clara to L.A. It makes sense on on that level. But I always find shows on the West Coast like when they do Raw in, in, on the West Coast, those crowds kind of stink. Though Sacramento was pretty good the other night, but those crowds are kind of like affected a little bit. Like if you if, if you do WrestleMania on the East Coast in Philadelphia, I mean that place is going to go crazy. Yeah, it'll be it'll be madness. Like I'm especially frightened. I'm frightened if to be you, there, especially if it's Punk versus Daniel Bryan or something sort of indie like that. Yeah. Uh, it it'll be incredible. Final wrestling note, and just because you brought up ECW, Ben Davis, uh, Comcast Sportsnet's Ben Davis told me the other day he was so excited to tell me that uh, Sandman moved in next to one of his friends. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I was like, man, Ben, I don't, I don't know that I could imagine one of your friends having living in a neighborhood in which Sandman would move into. And he's like, no, it's definitely him. He he wanted to tell me about it. So I, I, like, I guess that I don't even know that that's interesting to anyone but me and maybe you. No, I'm interested just that a (laughs) Sandman is still alive. Yeah. (laughs) B that uh, he has enough money to, like, move into what I would assume is, like, a pretty nice neighborhood. Yeah, maybe he's renting. I don't know. Maybe, or maybe yeah, he's maybe. doing... Who is the basketball player who just got, like, arrested for moving into somebody's house that he didn't live there? Um, what was he? He was squatting or something. Hold on. NBA squatting. I didn't see that story. But I, um, oh, Chris Gatling. 
Chris Gatling uh, moved into somebody's house and then tried to rent that house out to somebody else. I did see that story. Gatling always used to wear the headband. To cut. He had yeah. like a, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the real quick? Uh, give me thirty seconds on Tony Roten. Uh, I don't. I know what you know. Um, like I have to imagine that what Hinky's doing at this point, and, and this is the um, this is the same. I, I woke up to the Tony Roten news, honestly, and it's the same thing as as the trade that he made with uh, with Houston to get the couple of guys he got there. Is that he would rather fill the roster out with Hey, let's take a shot on this um, with a young guy than Hey, let's spend. Three point two million dollars on a vet that isn't going to be here by the time we're good anyway. So right. it's basically like filling out the roster with taking, like he's almost playing the ping pong ball game with the team and saying, like, here I'm going to put five guys that were first round picks that at some point showed some that somebody believed in that has some sort of skill that might be able to work at the NBA level and give them enough time. To sort of the the two things that you can do with guys like that are put them in a situation like in um, uh, uh, Oklahoma City where they're only going to be put in a posi- or San Antonio they're only going to be put in a position where they can succeed right they'll only play like Hashim Thabit plays seven minutes a game it's only when they need him he can foul as much as he wants and so it looks like that they've you know, found something that works. So it's that. Put them in a real good situation and only have them in a situation they can succeed. Or put them in a situation where they're going to get more time than they deserve and just sort of let them play it out and see if, see if something clicks and well, see if the like problem Nick, was. It's like Nick Lucevic in Orlando. I mean, yes. you get, give the guy 30 minutes. Yeah, he's going to score 20 and 10. Yeah. But, but uh, uh, I just feel like Sean Livingston sitting by the phone like, i got to be the next call. <laughs> yeah. This guy's signing every six six point guard in the country. Yeah, we, we and unfortunately, yet and the the biggest problem and the good thing with Roten is that we still well, I mean Roten's I guess more of a, a two guard, but like we still don't have guys that can, we we have to limit the number of guys that could shoot on the team. Like every guy they get has to be able to shoot like no better than forty two percent, so we can make sure that the average scoring. The, the average number for points per game is lower than 75 this year oh, yeah. and set some kind of NBA record. So, and, the, then, and then I just, I did want have you ever seen a coach hired in Philadelphia that has been sort of more friendly than, than Brett Brown? Uh, than Brett Brown. I mean, this guy, I listened, I listened to your interview with him and I listened, you know, he, he's done a, a bunch of other ones. The guy, I just, I, you kind of just want to hang out with the guy. Yeah, he seems like a really sweet guy. Like, and the, and the thing he does, there's certain things that you notice people do um, in interviews. And one thing he does is he, spe- if I, and I noticed it in our interview with him on the morning show the other day, is that he sort of specifically he repeats your question to you. He lets you know that you un- he understands your question and he gives you like a thoughtful answer. And he'll even address you by name. And that's a really like it's a really small thing, but like. You know, people like being remembered or, you know, like they – even if you're doing – like I do those – I remember when I, when I interviewed um, – what's his name with the bow tie? Um, the wrestler. Um, uh, uh, um, David Otunga. Otunga. And he was doing one of those MTV like morning radio tours where they do 10 minutes with everybody. And sort of the thing that sucks is is that like you know they don't know who you are. 
you know that you know you're one of fifty of them. Uh, but the yeah. people who are really good at that are the people who do know, who make sure they do know the name of the person they're talking to and things like that. Because you get, you know, it's a two way street. And Brett Brown sort of under seems like he understands that the interviews are a two way street. And honestly, like it's really impressive that he seems to give honest, thoughtful answers um, that you know are always lean toward positivity. But there's like you know has not said that there's any denying that the Sixers are going to be terrible this year. He's been very clear that it's going to be rough. He's been very clear that one of his jobs is to make sure that the players don't give up when it gets rough. You know, uh, yeah. it, it seems like he. Uh, I hope he succeeds. You know, it's hard with assistant coaches because you can come from the best situation in the world and sort of have the best pedigree in the world, and it just doesn't work. Um, but I, I hope I hope that it works for him because he seems my like favorite, a genuinely my, good guy. My favorite drinking game, which I developed, is listen to every Brett Brown interview and then drink every time he says "pop." Yeah, yes, dude, his accent is uh, fantastic. I mean, it's, it's got Joe Conklin written all over it, even more so than Chip Kelly. I'll tell you the little a little uh, inside radio here, as we call it in radio, um, or a little uh, maybe this is kayfabe, maybe this is uh, breaking kayfabe. Is that Radio K-Fabe. The K- Radio Kayfabe is that after we did the Brett Brown interview, um, we were in the morning show meeting, and Conklin was in there. And I said, Brett Brown sounds like Christopher Walken if he was from New England. And uh, Conklin looked over at me. He was like, you hear Walken in that, huh? And I was like, yeah. And he asked a couple people in the room. He was like, do you hear Walken in that? And they're like, yeah, we sort of do hear Walken in that. And like you could see the wheels turning for Conklin, like sort of develop, like how am I? I love that. Because he he explained to me once, I did an interview with him, like for a video series for uh, CBS Philly about, you know, coming up with these impressions and they're, they always start from like a base of something. And and then like, he's like, well, this guy is a little this with this and this and this mixed in. Um, And that's sort of how his mind works. It's so true. If you ever watch Dana Carvey on any talk show and when anybody asks him, how do you develop this voice or that voice? He always tells you the, the sort of ingredients. He'll tell you it's a yep. little bit of Jimmy Stewart. You know, like Bush was a little bit of Jimmy Stewart with a little bit of, you know, whatever. And he'll, he'll, tell, you the, he'll tell you the ingredients. Yeah, because the, the, the skill is not always even in knowing the ingredients. It, you know, almost like a chef. The skill is like is knowing how much of each ingredient it is and being able to mix those things. So when, uh, I'll, be, I'll be curious when I finally hear, like when it becomes relevant to do, um, when Conklin actually does the Brett Brown, if yeah. there is any walking in there. My brother and I, to this day, we still do Joe Conklin's Bill Campbell. Oh, dude, that's a, that's a legendary one. I mean, we it's a still, great one. Bill Con- uh, Joe Conklin spoke uh, when I went to Temple. He sp- I took this uh, this comedy writing class, I think it was called, and, and Joe Conklin came in and, and sat for an hour with us and just uh, really, we just like talked to him and asked him questions, and it was one of like the cooler things I got to do, um, just as like a school thing at Temple. My favorite uh, impression of his um, is also a little inside radio, but I feel like a lot of people know who Tom Bigby is. The the uh, former, yeah, the former, uh, and everyone, everyone here, everyone who has spent any time with Tom Bigby has a Tom Bigby impression, even if it's not good. Everyone sort of has the basis like. And you can't do it like that. Like it, there's always like it's yeah. it's very like school teacher from the south, um, uh, but sort of with the evil side. But his Tom Bigby is is frightening. Like how yeah. how spot on it is. It's very well. That's good. like everyone at S- everyone at SNL does a Lauren Michaels impression. So yes, I heard uh, what's his name, um, the guy who just left that did. Uh, 
No, another guy that left. Fred. Uh, no, another guy that left. The guy that did um, the the club guy on. Uh, oh yeah, on Bill news. Hader. Bill Hader was explaining that on a Simmons podcast was doing the Lorne Michaels impression, and he said when they do the Lorne Michaels impression, they always because I guess he's a name dropper, Lorne Michaels. So oh, they yeah, of course they started like name dropping like serial killers, like in the Lorne Lorne Michaels impression. That's funny. Yeah, it's it's very it's worth well, a listen. So. You know the story, Doctor Evil in the Austin. I mean, Mike Myers. Based Doctor Evil, the, the the voice and the mannerisms off of Lauren Michaels. So when I I was a page at NBC Real, uh, and uh, one of my assignments during my year as a page, I got to I worked on SNL. I was a page. I was one of three pages at the SN, what's called the SNL desk, and you sit at a desk right outside the studio, which I always said was like being a bat boy on your favorite baseball team. And so you're right there. You're like first line of defense if any of the cast members, any of the producers need anything. And one night, it was like late Friday, and uh, Lauren was huddled in sort of a meeting with like two writers, and they were talking about a sketch. And I was just like, just literally not even trying to hide it. I was just watching them. And Lauren picked his hand up and put his pinky to his lip. <laughs> and I, I literally let out a shriek. <laughs> there it is. There it is. It, um. like, I, it just like justified everything that was right in the world. So it was... Uh, it was fantastic, but yeah, the Bill, the, the Bill, um, the Bill Campbell. He captured lightning in a bottle yep. for a moment. Yeah, yep. I still, I still hear him. He still does stuff for KYW News Radio on Fridays. Un- unbelievable. But um, yeah, this was a blast, man. I'm yeah. happy to wake up uh, and, and do this. Well, that, yeah, we'll have to do it more. And uh, why don't we end it with a shout out to uh, another former NBC page, uh, Nick Bernstein, um, uh, who, who is preparing his. Uh, he is the, uh, I guess, the officially the executive producer of the Pete Holmes Show on uh, on TBS, which will follow Conan O'Brien. An- another fantastic podcast. If you listen to any of uh, Pete Holmes's podcasts, which led him to get the Late Night Show, which will follow Conan. And so, yeah, big shout out to Nick Bernstein, former NBC page, and uh, unbelievable that you went to school with him. Roommates. Roommates. Roommates in college. Yeah, I, I, I saw him for the first time since college. Last time I was in LA, like four or five months ago, and Nick, it's uh, Nick looks exactly the same, except like he's got a few gray hairs, but he's exactly the yeah. same Nick Bernstein. It's hilarious to look at. I was like, uh, because I look completely different than college. Like I'm like a hundred pounds less, and like I don't like I'm not wearing big Jinko jeans, and I'm, well, if I don't it's have eighteen piercings. Yeah. <laughs> Well done. Um, all right, brother. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, this this went well, so we'll have to do we it again We soon. didn't get to talk about the blue chest, but I guess we'll leave that until uh, next time. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I'll tell you, well, as as something that was awesome for me yesterday was I didn't, I knew it got on Deadspin, but I didn't know it got further than that. Like, when Hollis said it yesterday, um, If and if you don't know what this is, just... Talking about breaking kayfabe, Hollis Thomas broke kayfabe right there. He sure did. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Phillies and pornography. Um, and what I realized last night was when I... I knew it got on Deadspin, but I didn't know. And I knew we got a bunch of views on it, but I knew that was it. When Hollis said it, I was like, oh, well, that's a story. It was like that when yeah. Hollis, Hollis was the one that broke the Namdi lunch in his car story. And when I heard I would, it, I was, like, yeah. I was like, oh, well, that's a story. So I wrote it. But then last night, I Google just for the hell of it, I Google Philly's pornography. One full page of Google, like, like SB Nation, 700 level. Dude, it was in the Toronto Sun. 
Unbelievable. Um, it, it was. It got everywhere. I was so proud of myself that Phillies and pornography ended up being a Google search result that actually meant something. I had two thoughts. One was. Uh, the blue chest just sounds like a porno store. Yes, it sure does. First, first of all, like, you know, West Philadelphia. And then second, I was like, I just wanted somebody to take that pic- that sad picture of Charlie Manuel walking walking out of uh, the stadium with his Wawa bag. And just like, how much porn from the blue chest did he like, <laughs> did he smuggle in there? We should, I'll tell Matt Mack, he's got to... Photoshop a blue chest into that picture, like or hiding just like in the a bathroom. couple mag, just a couple magazines sticking out. Yeah, or something. <laughs> I'll get, but, I'll get him. He has a job now; he has less time, but I'll get him on yeah. that. So. Hashtag blue chest. Thank you, Spike. I uh, always love talking to you. And let me know. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll do this again around the next pay per view. Yeah, sounds good. All right, thanks, buddy. All right, my man. I will wrap that up by saying you can follow Ange on Twitter uh, at Ange Gold. Um, he really is one of the best. He, uh, you know, you get a lot of guests on, but he understands radio and talking stuff. So. so thanks, Ange. Oh.